BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. The Queen's Jubilee has come to an end. And we're here to recap it all. From who was where when to who was misbehaving. I'm Jack Royston, Newsweek's Chief Royal Correspondent. And I'm Kristen Meinzer, a royal watcher based in the U.S. And this is Newsweek's Royal Report. Hello, Jack. Hello, listeners. God save the Queen. And hello, cheeky little Louie. We have a big, big show for you today, recapping all the highlights of the Queen's Jubilee. Yes, to honour 70 historic years on the throne, there were four days of festivities from Thursday, 2nd June to Sunday, 5th June, and we're going to look at all of them, uh, from who was where and when to what big messages the palace was trying to send. Yes, and shall we just go chronologically through, Jack, and just start with Thursday, the 2nd of June, Trooping the Colour? Yeah, perfect. All right, so... Trooping the color. As we know, that is to honor the queen's birthday, even though technically that's not the date of her birthday. But every year it's in June. This is when we celebrate the queen's birthday. And there was a parade with thousands of soldiers, hundreds of horses, musicians, and a six-minute fly past of more than 70 military aircraft with that colored smoke coming out of the tails and so on, flying over Buckingham Palace. And looking out those windows were royal family members, including nieces, nephews, including including Meghan Markle with some of those nieces, and she appeared to be having a blast with them. They were all giggling up a storm. It was so fun to watch. And I have to say, as a U.S. royal watcher, a lot of us here were comparing the whole display to like Top Gun. That's how spectacular (laughs) it looked. Yeah, it was great, wasn't it? I saw the fly past. I was down there in, um, Ooh, in central London. on the ground, Jack. Yes. On the ground, yeah. The fly past was brilliant. I think that was probably my favourite bit, partly because it was really easy to see. And um, it, was great. <laughs> it was great seeing all the, all the royal family members on the balcony, but they are small in real life. Um, but yeah, it was a really sweet moment with Meghan and her nieces. And it was just really nice to see Harry and Meghan back in Britain enjoying being royals again. Yeah. Now, notable... The Queen, she wasn't actually part of the parade itself, the parade before the flyby and all that stuff. Charles instead stood in for his mother, taking the Queen's salute on the parade ground. The Queen did, however, make an appearance on the balcony. As you just mentioned, she was on the balcony along with other senior royals. She accepted a salute there. Um, Also, we should mention somebody was totally absent. We didn't see him in the parade on the balcony anywhere. I'm talking about Prince Andrew. Yes, it was good to see that he wasn't invited, to be honest. Obviously, he uh, might, under other circumstances, have tried to lobby to be there. But he was actually never due to be at this, in, at Trooping the Colour in any capacity, which is obviously the right thing after everything that's gone on. Um, him settling the sexual abuse, abuse lawsuit brought by Virginia Jeffrey. Um, so really good to see no effort made to, uh, to overshadow the Jubilee on you know this big this was like it's you know the queen's birthday parade happens every year but the way that it was used within the platinum jubilee it was very much the opening ceremony that got celebrations underway and it was a huge turnout the um local the closest tube station green park was actually overrun with people to the point that it was it was closed and evacuated oh wow um 
And I was walking uh, when I was walking around the streets. It was just pouring with people. You know, just the roads hadn't actually been closed, but people were just filling the streets anyway, weaving their way around cars. So this was like a really big public event where a huge volume of people, including both British people and tourists, had turned out to try and get a glimpse of of everything that was going on. Yeah, the overhead drone shots were incredible. I I don't know if I've ever seen that many people in one place before. It was mind-blowing. And I imagine, you know, if you were many, many, many yards back, I don't even know how you would see anything. (laughs) Just because that's how crowded it looked. Yeah, absolutely. It, the shots of the mall, uh, you know, the, the mall is, uh, it, you'll probably have seen it in photographs. It's the big long road that comes down from Buckingham Palace. And those always look incredible when they're full of people. And like you say, I mean, how much it's actually possible to see from there is, you know, is debatable. But I guess you see the one thing that everybody would have seen is the fly past, but also the carriage procession is a big part of watching Trooping the the Colour. And the Queen didn't actually get to take part in that this year, obviously, because of her recent mobility issues. Um, But people will have seen, you know, they'll have seen Kate and the kids, uh, they'll have seen Charles and William on horseback and Princess Anne. Um, So there's still lots to see. Yes. But again, thank goodness, out of those palace windows, we did not see Andrew. That's what I was afraid of. I was afraid of like, well, Andrew, he's not supposed to be part of the parade. He's not supposed to be on the balcony. But what if he's like leaning out the window and waving like all the nieces are? And thank goodness, we never saw him leaning out a window. Thank you, Andrew, for staying away. Do you know what? I was looking back over past pictures from all, from previous Trooping the Colours just to look at the dynamics on the balcony. And I do feel like even before we got to the point we're at now, like way back in kind of like 2018, you could see Prince Andrew trying to sort of push his way next to the Queen. Uh, there's a, I think it was, it was either 2018 or 2019. You can see him kind of muscling Harry and Meghan <laughs> out of the shot while he's close to the Queen. And what made me laugh about it is that he's actually lower in the line of succession than them and a less popular, less high-profile royal, and obviously has all these allegations against him. And yet, it's obviously just the guy's personality, isn't it? That this is who he is. Well, supposedly he's his mom's favorite, so he's like, gotta get next to mom. Need everybody yeah. to see me. Also, exactly. um, I'm really important. Yeah. Oh, God. Andrew, thank goodness we did not see him there. Uh, also, we have to talk about something else that happened on Thursday after Trooping the Color in the evening. Tell us about that, Jack. So we had the uh, lighting of the Jubilee beacons. So the Queen lit the first one, which was, uh, it was this incredible kind of like a giant Christmas tree. She pressed the button on it and it blew blew up, illuminated. And then that started the process through which about a thousand beacons around Britain and the Commonwealth were then lit. Yeah. And I got to say, Jack, she did not look especially um, strong or assertive walking up to that button or pushing the button. She she looked a little bit unwell. She was leaning on her cane and she only had to take like two or three steps to get to the button itself. And mm. when she pressed on it, I just thought, oh my gosh, get this woman a chair. She is not looking well. Bring in Charles or somebody for her to hold his arm, do something. To me, she just did not look especially like she, it, it just looked like she did not have much fortitude in her at that point. Imagine how tired she must have been after doing Trooping the Colour earlier in the day, because obviously this, these were both in the same day. So she's come out and done this daytime event. You imagine a 96-year-old woman, anybody you know listening who has elderly relatives, how much they have, how much inner resource they have to find in order to go and do a big event. Um, and then she does, she does Trooping, which went on for several hours. Um, she wasn't on the balcony for all of it, obviously. Um, but then she finds it uh, to go to Windsor, 
to do the beacon lightning lighting afterwards. So she obviously must have dug down and found inner resources to get this done. But what's interesting is the palace actually released a statement in between the two events, confirming that she would do the beacon lighting, but that she wouldn't uh, then do the uh, church service at St. Paul's Cathedral in London in her honour the following day. So just to give a little bit of the geography in terms of how the pieces on the chessboard move, uh, Trooping the Colour was in London at Buckingham Palace, so to do the beacon lighting she has to get in a car and go to Windsor. And then um, if she was going to do the church service as well, she would have then had to have at some point driven back to London in order to get to St. Paul's in time for royal arrivals from about 11 o'clock. So it's interesting that she chose to make the journey to Windsor, but then didn't want to come back down to London. Obviously, she could have tried, she would have called it a day for for Thursday and uh, Mm -hmm. just slept over in Buckingham Palace and then tried to do the church service in the morning. But I guess she wanted to get back to Windsor, which is where she's been living since the start of the pandemic. Yeah. And uh, the reason why she was not going to attend the church service the next day was uh, they actually used the word discomfort. That's what the palace said. The palace said, due to discomfort uh, at Trooping the Color. So they were kind of admitting something about her that they don't normally admit much about the queen. But that was, I thought, pretty forthright for them to say that. Yeah, so this is obviously a recurrence of her mobility issues that we've heard about. Um, we've heard about previously, and no doubt we will be hearing about them again. Um, there, we can talk more about this later, I'm sure. But there's, you know, there's been recent stories that she might miss the Commonwealth Games as well um, because of health problems. So yeah, we saw, uh, yeah, on that very first day that she, yes, she was able to be there. But it took its toll. You know, there was a cost yeah. to be to turning out in person for trooping. Yeah. Well, let's move on to the second day. That would be the 3rd of June. That would be Friday. That is the day of that service of Thanksgiving at St. Paul's Cathedral we were just talking about. That's where uh, people are there to give thanks for the Queen's reign. And the Sussexes were there, but without their children. They received mostly applause when they arrived. The crowd cheered for a lot of the attendees, except I have to point out, they booed very, very, very loudly when Boris Johnson showed up. Uh, I would have been booing too. I, I would. I would not hold back. That guy. And this is this is said to have actually had a role to play in the uh, the uh, for people in America who maybe haven't seen this. There's been like a no confidence motion in Boris Johnson, the Prime Minister, which is basically where his own MPs have got together, a number of them, and said they they want to remove him from office. Um, now it was a failed attempt. He's still there, but the, yeah, there were stories basically that one of the uh, one of the kind of the factors that tipped it over the edge was the fact that all these royal fans who you'd expect to be kind of classic Conservative Party supporters were booing him at um, at a church service in the Queen's honour. Yeah. Now, someone else who was supposed to be there at that church service, it was assumed, was going to be Prince Andrew, but he was not. No, that's right. And this time he actually wasn't there. He was supposed to be there, but he had an excuse this time. So with trooping, he just missed it. He was never going to be there. This time, basically, he tested positive shortly before he was uh, he was due to turn up. Um, and uh, that meant that the royals basically got a lucky escape. Um, it's probably a bit of a lucky escape as well for Harry and Meghan, who it might not have sat that comfortably, I think, for them to be basically photographed um, in the same place as Prince Andrew. Mm. And obviously, there's also the possibility that they might have been sat near him, given that, you know, oh, they would probably both certainly have been on the same side of St. Paul's Cathedral. So I think, to be honest, there might have been a few people wiping sweat off their brows at, um, you know, in Camp Sussex as well. Yeah, but you know who is not 
wiping sweat off their brow is me because supposedly Andrew spends so much time with the queen. And if he had COVID in, you know, those few days that he was hanging out with her before the diagnosis, she's very elderly. She's very frail. Mm. And I just kept thinking when I saw that announcement, like, oh my God, is everybody watching over the queen now? She's been hanging out with her, uh, very problematic son, I'm saying that lightly, who's now even more problematic because he could kill her with his disease. And of course, Andrew is not wiping sweat off his brow because he can't sweat. <laughs> boom, boom, good one. <laughs> <laughs> but no, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. And it's, it's interesting as well, because not only Andrew, but the Archbishop of Canterbury tested positive for COVID as well. And yeah. uh, the Archbishop of Canterbury is the uh, professional head of the Church of England. The Queen is the ceremonial head of the Church of England. And, um, you know, he was supposed to lead the service at St. Paul's, but he had to pull out too. Yeah. Um, having tested positive for COVID, which was also weirdly, I mean, it was a it was a strange few days for him as well because he defended Prince Andrew. I don't know if you saw that. Oh yeah, he said that um, <sighs> yeah, Prince Andrew was trying to make amends and that Britain needed to be a more forgiving society. Mm. And look what it got him: COVID. So there you go. It's yeah. I mean, I, I honestly, I have to say, I could not believe it when I read those comments. I, I actually, you know, have a certain amount of respect for the Archbishop of Canterbury, but. Um, yeah, I think that was a massive own goal. No, especially when so many heads of churches around the world have been complicit in sexual abuse to be so dismissive. This is it. Yeah, it's yeah. just like, come on, read the room. Don't do yeah. this. Just keep your mouth shut, dude. Just be quiet. Ugh, and don't do the that. Church of England has had its own scandals. I mean, there was a there was a clergyman called the Reverend Peter Ball who um, had abuse allegations made against him, and there, yeah, I mean, basically there was a cover up. Um, actually, Prince Charles was uh, was one of the people who was you know accused of basically uh, defending the bloke or, or offering him support anyway. <sighs> so it's really massively, massively inappropriate. Yeah, very much so. Very, very much so. On a slightly lighter topic, should we talk about the Sussexes and the Cambridges inside St. Paul's? Did it look like they were getting along, not getting along? I mean, they were just so far away from each other. Um, Obviously, all of the seating is done in advance, so everybody knows where everyone's going to sit. And I think what you can definitely say is no effort was made to try to present a united front between them. You know, they came in separately, they sat nowhere near each other. There was just no opportunity given to the media to gauge where things stood between the two couples in either direction. You know, they, they weren't presented as, an, as, you know, having patched everything up, but they, there was also no opportunity for the media to kind of like over-interpret facial expressions or make it look like pe- there was, you know, there was tension or beef during the event. So they just kept them so far apart that it couldn't be the story, basically. Mm. Yeah, but to me, that kind of is a story. <laughs> like, yeah, let's, yeah, yeah. Let's, let's put you in this corner. Let's put you in this corner. To me, that's sending a message in a, you know, in its own way. But, Jack, we need to take a quick break. We have two more days to cover in this Jubilee. There's so much more to talk about. But before we take that break, reminder, all of you out there, if you could rate us and review us an Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, wherever you get your favorite shows, we would so appreciate it. When we're back, we'll continue our coverage of the Queen's Jubilee. 
it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Hi everyone, we're back continuing our recap of the Queen's Jubilee weekend and now we're going to move on to Saturday the 4th of June which was when the derby at Epsom Downs happened and it featured dozens of past and present jockeys who have ridden for the Queen. Yes, and Jack, I remember you predicting the Queen would probably want to really be at this one. She is a horse gal. She loves her horses. Horses have always been her best friend. But notably the queen did not actually end up attending the derby in person, and she instead watched from the palace as she was still supposedly experiencing discomfort, according to the palace, according to her spokespeople. Instead, Princess Anne stood in for her mother. Yeah, so I think this was the event that really the queen in her heart of hearts would have probably enjoyed the most out of everything. Um, Obviously, loves horses, has done her whole life. Um, And I think she would have loved to have been there. But obviously, I guess if she'd gone and then had to pull out of other kind of like, quote unquote, important things, then Mm -hmm. it might not, you know, the optics of that might not have been quite so good. It might have looked a little bit too much like she was able, she wanted to do the thing that would be having a good time and wasn't at, you know, the kind of somber, serious, sincere church service on the Friday. Yeah. And It was around this time I started to notice, hold on, they're not even announcing where the queen is going to be anymore during this jubilee. They're just announcing where she's not going to be. And it, to me, looked like they are accepting she's not doing her best right now. That's what it looked like to me. Yeah, exactly. Trying her hardest, but not able to do her best based on previous um, previous years. I mean, she uh, would, obviously, I'm sure, have wanted to attend absolutely everything. And that was never, never going to be possible. I have to admit, the one thing that I really didn't think she would do was the beacon lighting. And I thought she 100% was going to do the church service on Friday. So it took me by surprise. Um Epsom, yeah, I mean, I, I I thought that she would want to. I was ready for the possibility that um, it might be considered a little too fun to to make the uh, to make the list. But then the other one, of course, that she was never realistically going to be able to make was the party at the palace that evening on the Saturday, which is obviously a f- fantastically fun event. But again, you know, evening big bands, loud music. It was never really going to be the thing that the Queen would pull it out of the bag to attend. Yeah, and I got to say, it, it it was the spectacular kind of mega concert lineup just full of celebrities and big names. We had Alicia Keys, we had Duran Duran, Diana Ross, or David Attenborough, David Beckham, Stephen Fry, Dame Julie Andrews, and Queen, not the queen, but the band queen. <laughs> um, and those are just a few of the big names that were there. There were so many others. Uh, it was like just a night of a million stars. D- Diana Ross, a personal favorite for me. I thought she, <laughs> and, I thought she was brilliant. 
Oh, yeah. And I love that Alicia Keys thing, that girl is on fire. I'm like, yeah, she is. She's on fire. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Can we talk about something else I thought was really, really uh, fun about that day? Um, yeah. So we already mentioned the queen was not at the concert um, at the Platinum Party, but she kind of was still in the form of a video with Paddington Bear. I thought this was incredible. Yes, and in in it, it's just like a little two-minute video. Uh, The Queen and Paddington Bear, she has him over for tea. He's being as clumsy as can be. He's like a CGI version of himself, like from the movie. And, you know, he's knocking over cakes. He's being a mess. And then at one point, apologetically, he offers the Queen his emergency marmalade sandwich that he keeps in his hat. And then the monarch then reveals, oh, no, 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 that's okay, Paddington. I actually keep my own emergency marmalade sandwich in my handbag. That's what's been in my handbag this whole time. Everyone always wonders, what's in the queen's handbag? It's an emergency marmalade sandwich. And the video concludes with uh, Paddington telling the queen, happy jubilee, ma'am, and thank you for everything. And if the photos and videos are telling the truth, everybody absolutely loved it, especially Prince George, who was just smiling and laughing. And I, I was smiling from ear to ear, too. It was so delightful. This is like huge flashbacks to the um, Olympic Games when it was in London. And she did that skit with James Bond, you know, she did it with Daniel yes. Craig, where um, <laughs> they kind of made it look as though the Queen was uh, parachuting into into the <laughs> Olympic Stadium. Um, it's such a kind of such a funny little skit to do. And it's really nice to see the royals not taking themselves too seriously, which I think is what everybody wants from them, really, to kind of get involved, play along with the joke and just, you know, let everybody have a bit of fun with them. Yeah. Paddington and as well is such a kind of like positive, or a positive story for people. You know, it is got a hugely warm message about inclusivity and diversity. Everybody loved it. I actually saw the film. I thought it was, I saw both of them actually, Paddington and Paddington too. I thought they were brilliant. And obviously, he's a fit, massive figure from my childhood as well. Oh yeah, mine too. And just a note: I know a lot of people think like, "Oh, kids' movies, what?" The second Paddington Bear, I believe, is on Rotten Tomatoes one of the freshest movies that has ever been rated on their platform. It is beloved by families, by children, by people who don't have children, by film critics, by esteemed members of the Film Academy. That movie is so beloved. The first one was too, but the second one in particular is held in such high esteem. And so, you know, it's not just her like goofing around with the cartoon character. It's with, um, you know, a character who is historic and beloved in the UK and celebrated in the film world. So it, it was a really sweet thing to do. Obviously, a pro-immigration message in Paddington as well, because he's obviously, he's the he's the bear that comes from deepest, darkest Peru and is taken in by a family in London who find him at Paddington uh, Station, that is. That's why he's called Paddington Bear. Um, and it's actually, it's very explicit in the, in the recent films that, you know, they kind of make the connection between, uh, in, between supporting refugees and this, you know, historic story from Britain's past. Yes. And I guess there's one thing actually we should mention, which is that um, in the build-up to this concert, William and Kate went up to Cardiff in Wales for, um, for another kind of mini concert that was happening there um, as a kind of prelude to the main event. And so they, uh, that is actually also why they didn't make um, Lilibet's first birthday, which was in Windsor on the Saturday. Mm, okay, yeah. I'm glad you brought up Lilibet's first birthday because there has been um, a lot of 
I don't know, uh, mean things being said about Harry and Meghan and Lilibet and why weren't they at this concert? And they released this photo of Lilibet and she does not look very well put together. And oh my gosh, the headlines have been terrible about Harry and Meghan and Lilibet. And I have to say this photo that they released to honor her first birthday, I thought she looked adorable. Mm, she looks yeah. so much like her dad. She is so cute. She's wearing um, a little blue dress. You know, she's, she's an adorable little baby. She's so cute. And yet she was just raked over the coals. That's right. Tabloids just tearing apart a baby. It all descended. It all got a bit toxic after a while, didn't it? And yeah. you always get these social media fandoms throwing mud at each other. But I mean, you know, just don't leave the kids out of it, I think. And like you yeah. say, it was such a lovely picture. And it's probably the most kind of like uh, unabashed um Sussex baby photo that we've had since they quit royal duties you know it's a little bit by herself it's that classic kind of royal uh, royal birthday portrait um, it was really nice to see and there was also a, a lovely little second picture of Megan holding uh, holding Lilibet um, alongside so the photographer was Miss Anne Harriman who also took people might remember him because he took Megan's pregnancy pictures mm-hmm. um, when they first announced Lilibet um, and is actually a friend of the couple. He had played a kind of small role in helping them get together because he introduced Megan to this unnamed mutual friend. Well, if he was um, such a good photographer, he should have ironed Lilibet's dress because she looked like a mess. <laughs> <laughs> so this is yeah. So this is the criticism that was made was that people said that she that Megan should have ironed Lilibet's dress. But I mean, come on, she's a one year old baby. Who, in all honesty, really irons the dress of a one year old baby? Come also, on. I had to look so closely to see any wrinkles in that dress. I'm like, what are they talking about? When I got married, it's my dress was more wrinkly than this. I'm like, I don't understand what everyone's upset about here. Yeah, it's incredibly petty. It's incredibly petty. And there was also a there was a bucket load of criticism chucked at Kate as well, which we can get into later because a lot of it oh, relates yes. to to the Sunday. But um, I mean, it was nice to see Harry and Meghan back at Frogmore, having you know enjoying life. Um, you know, how they there were uh, Zara and Mike Tyndall. Um, were at the party. So Zara Tyndall is uh, a cousin of Prince Harry. Um, and Mike Tyndall is a very famous England rugby player who's her husband. Um, and yeah, they came with their kids. It sounds like it was a lovely day. Um, everyone having fun, good weather. Yeah, it sounds like a really nice time for them. Yes. Uh, shall we move on to Sunday, June 5th? This is the final day of the Jubilee. And uh, the day started off with the Jubilee pageant. Yes, thousands of performers processed down the mall, including acrobats, unicorns, corgis, and my personal favourite, there was a hologram of the Queen that was in, you know, they had the gold carriage going down the mall, and then they created this, like, hologram version of the Queen when she was younger, which was just I visible loved in the window. <laughs> it was fantastic, wasn't it? It was. And, you know, if someone told me, like, yeah, there's going to be a hologram of the Queen, I probably would have rolled my eyes and said, oh, that sounds corny. But... As it actually happened, it was really spectacular, and it really was shining a light on how historic her reign has been. She was essentially in her 20s in that hologram, and now look at her in her 90s. Like, this woman is an institution. She is, Mm. you know, larger than life, and I thought it was beautifully done. I mean, it really brings it home, doesn't it? Imagine you're in your you're 25 and uh, you suddenly take on this hugely significant job, which you then do for the next 70 years. I mean, is, is there another person on planet Earth who's been doing the same job for 70 years? Wow. Yeah, it's it's amazing to think about. Um, 
up until recently, the longest job I'd ever had was five years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I racked up six at one point, so I'm not uh, I'm not much better. <laughs> no. But it was um, it was a wonderful occasion, and of course, it was a uh, a real opportunity for Prince Louis to uh, to steal the show, um, <laughs> which he did a little bit of trooping, but then really turned it, it went into overdrive at the at the pageant as well, with basically pulling funny faces. Tell us more about that Kristen oh yeah he was doing the nanny boo boo thing he was doing like you know when you put your thumb on your nose and your other four fingers you wiggle and make a mean face at somebody you don't like he was doing that to his mother he was sticking out his tongue at one point when she looked like she was trying to wrangle him he just covered her mouth with his hands and looked angry as if to say shut up mommy he was he was really really going all out he's a four-year-old you know I don't think it's a big whoop he's a four-year-old But I will say what I did think was a big whoop was so much of the press decided, like, this is a reflection of what a terrible mother Kate Middleton is. And I, at one point, tweeted out uh, something along the lines of, like, you know, maybe instead of asking why Kate Middleton is such a horrible mother, maybe we should ask why William is such a terrible father. Maybe he's putting work above fatherhood. Maybe he should be a better parent. Maybe he shouldn't offload his kids on his nannies. Because what I essentially did was I took all the headlines that were saying, why is Kate like this? Why is Kate doing that? Why is Kate offloading her kids on her nannies? And I just changed the gender. I just switched Mm. it over to dad instead. And then... um, I I think a lot of people didn't understand what I was trying to do, and they just thought that I was saying mean things about Will, and Will is our future king. Don't talk about him that way. But what I was really saying is, this is sexism. You know, women always get the blame if the kids behave or misbehave. What about the men? You're a dad, Jack. You're to blame also if your kid is acting a certain way, or you're to be patted on the back if your kid's behaving a certain way. It's not just on the mom all the time. I also have to admit that I do actually recognize some of the moves that Louis was pulling. Um, They have been done to me, uh, especially the hand over the mouth. Yes, that has been done to me on a number of occasions. And I mean, one thing that also, like, you're absolutely right. It's always the mum who takes the flack and gets the blame. And um, it's just also so weird the way that people make these huge sweeping generalizations off the back of the way that a four-year-old behaves in like one moment when he's a bit bored at a royal pageant. Like you've got on the one hand people kind of reading into what Louis is going to be like as an adult. You've got people basically <laughs> trying to read into like what's going on at home at Kensington Palace. Like it's extraordinary. And like, I have to say, no four-year-old is the same throughout the day. Like they can be like this, you know, like five o'clock in the afternoon, four o'clock in the afternoon when they're tired, they're hungry, you know, they need the loo maybe. And they can, mm-hmm. be, a, they can be a complete angel at like, you know, 11 in the morning when they've just had their snack time. Um, And then at bedtime, they can adore you and say, read me another story, daddy. I love you so much. I mean, the moods are very uh, erratic (laughs) with a four-year-old. I used to be a nanny. I know. Four-year-olds can run the gamut just in a period of like 20 minutes. Exactly, exactly. And I also felt for her because when I'm in situations like this, the eyes of the world aren't on me. And so I have like these tools in my toolkit, which I use to try to bring the situation under control. One of which is like, 
food, but Kate can't just like get the rice cakes out while she <laughs> while she's sat there watching the pageant. She can't like get his bottle of water. She can't take him off and buy him a hot chocolate. She can't like take him to the loo if he needs the loo. Like yeah. all of these. Or she can't do a get walk the coloring the books out. Look at these dogs. Yeah. Like you yeah, can't do exactly. that stuff. <laughs> you can't do any of that. So it's really I did feel for her, and um, yeah, it's just like the way people want to make these really kind of final, definitive judgments about like the content of people's character based on these you know brief interactions that happen on the balcony when actually like let's be honest isn't this kind of how the world fell in love with harry that he was like being cheeky and misbehaving a little bit do we not all kind of love a rule breaker yes we do we do and i'm just gonna say louis if you're listening and we know you are enjoy it have fun be 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 goofy be cheeky just have a good time you know you're you're one of the spares have a good time Exactly. And I tell you what, that age four is the perfect storm for this kind of like weird social media commentary. Because when you're younger than four, like if you have a kid younger than four, like a two year old, for example, has a tantrum and it's just a kid having a tantrum, you know, it's like crying or whatever. And a kid older than four, like Charlotte's age or George's age is probably a bit more better behaved, like has a slightly Mm -hmm. longer attention span, can cope a little better. But at four, it's the perfect combination of like having those older kid mannerisms, like putting the hand over the mouth, putting the thumb (laughs) up to the nose, things that are like recognizable that like a much older kid hypothetically might do but in the body of somebody who can't really concentrate for longer than about half an hour tops oh yeah maybe 30 seconds at a time yeah (laughs) 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 oh so yeah i just gotta say i think people were being very unfair there in their criticisms and i heard some people say like oh but she supposedly is an advocate for early childhood care and it's like yes you can be an advocate for early childhood care and still have a four-year-old who sometimes, you know, acts like a four-year-old. That's yeah, just exactly. life. It's fine. It's totally fine. Let it go, yeah. folks. Stop the criticism. Let it go. Yeah, exactly. I mean, imagine if you took that principle to its logical conclusion. What, is she going to, like, close down her charity because Prince Louis pulled a few faces on on the balcony <laughs> at Trooping and then had a little tantrum at the pageant? I mean, come on, it's ridiculous. Yeah, just ridiculous. Um, We should talk about a couple other things, though, about this final Platinum Jubilee pageant. The Sussexes, they chose not to attend. Instead, they returned to the States that day. And um, some people wondered if there was some reasoning behind that other than, you know, did they just want to get back home? Uh, Were they in a huff about something? What do you think, Jack? Yeah, it's a it's very interesting one. I mean, obviously, it would have been great to see them um, just because, you know, it's great to see them. Um, And it would have been, you know, it would have been really lovely to see both of the kids out, um, Archie as well, because we got these lovely photos of Lilibet, but um, we obviously didn't see Archie at any stage. why did they do it? It's a difficult one. I mean, they obviously it could just be that they had commitments back in America in the week, um, or it could also be maybe there was you know there were wranglings behind the scenes about how things were going to play out at the pageant, and they didn't like the way that the the whole thing was set up in terms of what they had been offered. Um, it's very difficult to know. Um, I don't think I've really seen anybody who feels like they've got a definitive answer to that question, unless you think you have, Kristen. No, I was hoping you would, Jack. <laughs> <laughs> I've not I've not had any steer about why it happened and I've not seen one either. I think to be honest with you, my gut instinct is that um Harry and Meghan probably will have come away from the whole weekend 
you know, probably slightly uneasy about how things played out. Um, you know, like not just the pageant, but across the whole thing. Um, but also probably quite relieved that it did actually go quite well for them, I think. You know, obviously they would always just factor in um, some a little bit of criticism and some toxic social media commentary and, and media coverage. But actually, you know, the pictures of them at St. Paul's on the Friday were fantastic, really lovely pictures. Megan's outfit was great. She looked brilliant. Um, so I think they, and you know, they did get that beautiful picture of Lilibet at the... Um, you know, at Frogmore, uh, and that it would they would have loved seeing people again. Um, you know, seeing UK-based uh, friends who they won't have had a chance to see out in California. So I think they'll probably come away feeling with some good memories and some uh, some good positive uh, positive stuff that happened. And obviously, actually, you know, we didn't get a picture of it, and it, nothing was released publicly. But I, we are to understand that um, Lilibet did meet the Queen. So, you know, there's some really amazing things that have happened for them. I'm sure there will have been stuff that they found incredibly frustrating as well. I wouldn't, in all honesty, be that surprised if there were wranglings over how the pageant was going to play out and if that did have a role in their decision to go home early. But, you know, obviously they could have just had something on, on on Monday or Tuesday that they needed to get back for. Yeah. And I never want to assume the worst until I'm given some facts about it. So, yeah. you know, the yeah, folks yeah. who are saying, you know, th- there are different uh, tabloid journalists who are saying, oh, they left in a huff. But it's like they still have no proof that they left in a huff. And it is quite possible they just had other things going on. And their main priority was seeing the queen, which they did. And that's great. That's what they really wanted to do is spend time with grandma. And they did. They spent time with grandma. They went to a couple of events. Um, so, yeah, I think that's fine. I think people need to lighten up about that. Um, But we should mention, by the way, the second balcony appearance. The day ended, the final day of the Jubilee ended with that balcony appearance with the Queen, Charles and Camilla, uh, Wills and Kate with their children, essentially a very trimmed down monarchy just about the Queen, the heir, the next heir, and the next heir. That was it. (laughs) Yes, obviously Prince Charles has for a long time wanted to slim down the monarchy and here we got a, a, an image of what a slimmed down monarchy actually looks like. So you've got the only people on there really who weren't either direct heirs or the uh, the spouses of direct heirs were the Cambridge children. So obviously George, direct heir, Genevieve King, um, Charlotte and Louis were the only two royals there who are not uh, not in line to be the monarch or the consort of the monarch at some stage. Yeah. Well, we are going to put our own interpretive spin on that balcony and everything else that transpired over the four-day Jubilee weekend in just a moment. But first, we have to take a quick break. While we're on break, though, reminder, you can follow us on Twitter. Jack is at Jack underscore Royston. I'm at Kristen Meinzer. We always have our royal updates there. Jack always has the latest stories he writes for Newsweek, which are terrific. And uh, stay with us. We'll be right back. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. There's something magical about unboxing. 
When you unbox BritBox, you uncover a world of British entertainment. Stream the UK's most brilliant series, including new and upcoming seasons of Shetland, Father Brown and Death in Paradise. Plus new originals like Payback, Irving Welsh's Crime and Archie, the story of Hollywood's greatest leading man, Cary Grant. Unbox BritBox and escape to the best of British TV. Stream with a free trial at BritBox.com. Hi everyone, we're back with our thoughts on what went down at the Jubilee and what it all meant. Oh, so much meaning, Jack. With the royals, there's always symbolism. There's always meaning. It's never as simple as she showed up in a white dress. There's always something going on there. Um, So let's just talk about some of the messaging that you and I were getting, some of the things that we interpreted a certain way. The Times, I have to say, uh, wrapped things up in a way that I agree with. The Times said, as she stood on the balcony, smiling and waving to the roaring crowds below, surrounded by all three of her heirs in that final balcony moment, what she had to say was all too clear, this is the future. And yeah, I agree with what they said there. I do think that that final moment was, these are your heirs. Let's not focus on the gossip. Let's not focus on family relations. Let's just focus on here's your next king, next king, and next king. And this is going to continue long after I'm gone. It's not just about me. It's about the much bigger picture. That's the message I got. Yes, absolutely. And of course, there is a very good reason why we might be looking to the future in this moment, because um, we've talked a little bit about the Queen's health problems. And she also issued a statement herself in which she said, I remain committed to serving you to the best of my ability, supported by my family. So this is really interesting, because she's released two similar statements this year. One was in February on the eve of her accession day. So that was the eve of when, see, like we talk about the Platinum Jubilee about as being this weekend of celebrations, but it's actually kind of the whole year. And it all started on the 6th of February, which was the anniversary of the death of King George VI, her father. So that was the day that she became queen. And on the eve of that day, um, she released a, another statement where she said, as we mark this anniversary, it gives me pleasure to re- renew to you the pledge I gave in 1947 that my life will always be devoted to your service. Then in March, she uh, again released a very similar statement saying, in this year of my Platinum Jubilee, it has given me pleasure to renew the promise I made in 1947, that my life will always be devoted in service. So just to recap what she's just said now during the Jubilee, after obviously so many cancelled events in between, I remain committed to serving you to the best of my ability, supported by my family. Yes, I just want to reiterate that, supported by my family. So it feels like there's been a change in policy just even in those few months from March to June, where the Queen is acknowledging that really things are becoming challenging now. Yeah, yeah. Um, To me, that was the, you know, the pinnacle of royal understatements. You know how everything's very subtle with the royals. She's not saying, I'm really unwell. Uh, I, I no longer have my, you know, vim and vigor. She, she's very subtly, you know, giving that understatement. I'm, I'm going to do this to the best of my ability, supported by my family, um, which is not quite the same thing. Exactly. Things are always alluded to in royal statements. They're never said explicitly because the royal family and the palace, they just know how much stuff gets blown out of proportion if you, if you say it loud. Even when you say it quiet, it gets blown up really big. So everything has to be said quiet so that it doesn't, you know, 
cause an avalanche of front pages. But it does feel like maybe she's had time to reflect on the fact that these episodic mobility problems that we've been hearing about haven't gone away. They've had months in which they might have gone away. And, you know, she's clearly thinking and has been thinking for months now about what the future looks like, both for herself and for the monarchy. Yeah. And, you know, while... Uh, adoration for the queen is higher than ever while people around the world were celebrating her and this jubilee. Former heads of state, presidents, people were all sending well wishes to the queen publicly and privately. Um, I think a lot of us were also thinking, like, what happens after the queen? Because I just, you know, I, I know I'm not alone in saying this. I don't feel the same connection with the other royals. I, I just, you know, d- do I care about Charles? Am I going to be excited when he has a jubilee? I don't know. No, I'm not. What about you, Jack? How do you feel the world is going to react when, when uh, unfortunately, when the queen is not the monarch anymore? Yes, it's a very good point. And uh, obviously, Charles, I mean, will he even get a jubilee? Because I think the first one usually is 25 years. Um, And so Prince Charles is going to have a battle on his hands, basically, because he has these twin problems of one, the public starting position is that they're nowhere near as warm to him as they are to the Queen. But the other problem he's got is that he's going to be under pressure to, uh, to make some really good decisions. And the Queen is very good at navigating her way out of a crisis, as we saw in her handling of um, Meghan and Harry's Oprah interview. She's got a real instinct for crisis management PR, having been done the job for 70 years. Um, but Charles's decision-making hasn't always been quite as good as the Queen's. Um, some of his decisions have arguably been quite questionable. For example, he brought back one of his aides, Michael Fawcett, uh, twice, only for Fawcett to then have to resign um, against the backdrop of a police investigation into Charles's charity. So some of his decision-making over the years has arguably been a bit questionable. So he's got those are going to be his two big problems. How does he make a really strong connection with his public, um, like the one the Queen has, while also actually making the right decision when the pressure is on? Yeah. Well, hopefully, I've said it before, I'll say it again, hopefully we won't have to deal with that for a few more years. If the Queen is anything like her mom, we have 5 to 25 years left of her, but... She's not looking her best right now, and I know she needs her family to help her, but I'm not looking forward to the day when the rest of the family takes over. No, indeed. I mean, she's owed a break, isn't she? I mean, you do have to feel for her. Obviously, she's made this comment um, when she was 21 about giving her whole life to public service, and she wants to live up to it, and she really does want to do it, but surely she's got to have a break at some point. Well, regardless of what happens next, happy Jubilee to the Queen. We know you're listening, and God save you. And that's it for this episode of The Royal Report. Be sure to join us every other week when we visit the latest royal headlines, embark on some royal deep dives, and riff on all things royal. Until next time, I'm Kristen Meinzer. And I'm Jack Royston. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. And a curtsy to you all. <laughs>